What's going on, everybody? This is Hacker Valley Studio. Yes, sir. With your hosts, Ron and Chris. Welcome, Welcome back. back to the show. <laughs> Glad to be back again. <laughs> we got a special guest, Kim Hodgson from Netflix. She is a stock plan manager. For folks that don't know exactly what that is, could you explain sort of what your role is? Yeah, definitely. So I head up the stock team at Netflix. So it means mostly like we're, we do anything related to equity compensation. So if you work at a company and they want to pay you in, in stock instead of cash, that's that's what my team does, like RSUs, ESPPs, that sort of thing. So we're all pretty well trained in that. But yeah, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, we do that stuff. We do a lot of employee education. Right. And, you know, when we go into a new country, we head up sort of determining how we can offer a stock plan in that country because mm -hmm. the local rules, regulations, taxation, that kind of thing, it's different everywhere. So we had that up and the shareholder meeting, the annual proxy, we're involved in all of that as well. So a lot of different things. Yeah. yeah super cool. So how did you, what was your path to get there? Oh man. Yeah, let's talk about <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> I had the most random path on earth. Have you ever seen Wolf of Wall Street? Of course. Yeah. It's like one yes. of my favorite movies. All right. Definitely. All right. So I saw that in 2014 and I loved it, but I had no idea what they were talking about so went to a library i got nine books i was the limit on stocks investing that sort of thing and a couple days later i was sitting at lunch i think i was on into book three and some guy just walks up and he's like hey do you like stocks and i was like well i don't really know what they are but right. i'm trying <laughs> and long story short he said you know if you can pass your series seven and 30 days i have a friend at a brokerage company and, and they'll hire you as a broker so I became a stockbroker 30 days later. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't sleep, got a, a street prescription for Adderall and uh, <laughs> stayed awake for a couple wow. couple weeks. It went well, though. I, I never returned those books. So I actually just made a donation to that library. I feel bad about that. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, Somewhere it's like racking up. Yeah, like exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you have $1 million. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, then I was a stockbroker and um, kind of worked my way up through the ranks. When, you, when you're a stockbroker, you can kind of choose all these different paths. You can become like, a, it's kind of like high school. It's like mm -hmm. you got the jocks, they're, they're the, uh, they, they do like the active trading. So they're right. always arguing about like spreads and straddles and like options trading, all that kind of stuff. They're really cool. But then there's like the financial traders are kind of the frat boys or like the financial consultants. Mm -hmm. And then there's like the comfy bunch, the retirement people. You could just stay yeah. there, work there forever. You're never right. getting fired. Yeah. And there's this other team called stock plans. And I didn't, I didn't really know what that was, but I went, had lunch with the director and he and I hit it off really well. And I ended up on that team and I liked that team because it had the most runway. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I could keep getting promoted and promoted and this guy seemed like the limit at that time. So I ended up on that team and it actually really did go well. I ended up as a trainer on the team with a couple months afterwards. So I trained stockbrokers in equity compensation and right. then I went business to business. So I would talk to people like me now, you know, like the administrators of Facebook or Google or whatever, and help them with their plan on the brokerage side. And then from there is an easy jump over from the brokerage side to the private side. So I started out as an analyst at Gap three years ago and came into Netflix as a senior analyst mm -hmm. a couple years ago. And, and now I'm heading up the team. So really fun stuff. That wow. is outstanding. Yeah. <laughs> it's the dream job I never wanted. <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead. Yeah. So I was going to ask, like, what was that transition? Like, how long did it take? The 30 days sounds like such a quick turnaround for yeah. like getting any type of employment or certification right. even. But how long was it until you started training others uh, just to 
Yeah, I mean, I think it took like a year to go from just a, a normal stockbroker to kind of into my specialty. Um, and then it did take a little bit of finagling. Um, brokerage firms are pretty old school. They're more, you got to pay your dues. You got to be here for years and years. Um, and they're less off of merit. So it, it took a lot of relationship building and networking to sort of say, listen, I can do this. Like, let me do this. And, and it worked. So I, I don't know. A lot of people took some chances on me. So I love that. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. You actually share with me a memo that you wrote. Yeah. It, you really should just get into doing some more of that blogging. I, I don't know if you do any blogging. Do you? No, it, no. That, I thought it was a great piece of work. Could you explain to the folks the, what you shared with me? Yeah, yeah. So I got in, in, in my head this summer to buy a 20-plex apartment complex, which is $4 million at least. And you got to put 20% down by all standards. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't, I don't have 20% of $4 million <laughs> sitting in right. cash in my checking account. So, yeah. but I talked to my fiance, he's real cool. And he was like, just keep digging into it. Like, is there another way? So I ended up with this memo. He and I actually kind of wrote it together and it's all the different ways that you can purchase real estate without a lot of cash, if any cash. And there's typical ways. There's like a VA loan. There's there's a couple other loans that the, the government offers that I didn't know about. So that was interesting. But then it kind of got into where we were being even more creative and saying like, all right, well, what if we like assumed a loan from someone, something like that, or financed with the owner instead of with the bank, and they might be more lenient as far as like the certain terms that they require. Right, so right. yeah, I mean, it takes a little bit of digging. It takes, the way I kind of explain it is you, you have to trade money for something else. You got to trade it for creativity, yeah. for more time. It's going to take you a while to find an owner wh whose goals are going to match up with yours. And so that's that's kind of where that memo came from. No, that's outstanding. One thing that I've lost in the real estate game twice already. <laughs> I'm, I'm terrible at it so far. But I, I did have an idea of getting like a 20plex uh, <laughs> apartment complex with, with my brother. Would you say that real estate is still one of the primary ways to build wealth for people in our generation? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing that I like about basically everything in that memo is a different concept of, of leverage, like using a little money to make like a big impact. And I like that because it can apply to a lot of different levels of like financial, I don't know, status. There, it applies to me because I've I've got a, a little bit of money to play with, but it can also apply to people who don't have as much money to play with. So one of the things that stands out to me right now is, have you heard of like Airbnb arbitrage? Mm -mm. This is interesting. So it's where people are renting apartments because they can't, they don't have enough money to buy it, their own apartment. So what they'll do is they'll rent an apartment and then they'll Airbnb it out, and so they'll get some margin so that the income from the Airbnb pays off right. your rental mm -hmm. plus some. And so then you can save that income, put another deposit down on, a, on another rental, and then just keep doing that. So, I mean, we've met people, I've had brunch with people who've had 30 Airbnb arbitrages. They don't own any of these apartments, but wow. they've got income stream coming in. Wow. And, and that's legal? Yeah. So as long as you find a landlord who doesn't have a subletting clause right. or you talk to them, I, they're getting creative Like, because yeah. landlords are coming on to it. They're like, oh, wait, you're doing what? Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you do. It has gotten to the point where you have to kind of talk with the landlord and say, listen, I'm basically acting like a property manager for you. Like, I'm going to make sure this place is beautiful and I take care of all of that. And I make sure that there's always people in here and you don't have to worry about tenants. Like I'm in here for the long run. Right. And then 
then so if that doesn't work, there's other ways you can be more creative. Like, hey, do you want to share some of the profits with me? Like you mm-hmm. can take a five percent cut or whatever of mm-hmm. what I make. So a lot of creativity, but wow. it's cool because, you know, you, people are getting more creative where they don't have as much capital, but mm-hmm. they're making moves. Right. Yeah. Wow, that's huge. So one of the questions that I've always been curious about when it comes to like Airbnb and whatnot is, do you have to pay a hotel tax when you're housing individuals for like so long? It's just something that I've always wondered. That's an interesting question. Someone <laughs> someone mentioned that when I was singing at Airbnb, so oh, I've always okay. just been wondering that <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> on a random note. Man, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm a, I don't know. I don't do it because I don't have time, right? Like it's that trade-off between time and, and or do you have cash that you can spend, but I don't have time, so I don't do Airbnb arbitrage. Yeah. But I know just talking to, to friends who do it that people are cracking down, especially in like the specific cities, like San Francisco hates right. it. <laughs> yeah. um, so I know they're going to tax the shit out of everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure there are like additional costs like that. And I know even around the world, there are folks or, or municipalities, right, that are finding creative ways to, to get that money. But kind of the interesting thing is it's hard to tax because how would you know that they have like renters, right? Or Airbnb, I don't know what the term is, tenants. Right. Yeah. So how how do you make sure that the person who's Airbnb it out actually reports that that income? So I actually just saw read an article the other day about an interesting company who kind of fit themselves in that niche. Mm-hmm. And they said, We are going to put the onus on the the person who's Airbnb to report it. And they kind of have to opt out if they don't. And they have this cool AI software that I, I'm not sure how it works. Otherwise, I'd be doing this. But like, <laughs> I guess it looks at Airbnb and kind of determines like, hey, you weren't renting for these times. Like, were, was that because there was a tenant there? And it kind of says you have to pay tax on this unless you have a valid reason not to. Mm, so gotcha. um, municipalities are paying this company a good amount of it's actually a percentage of whatever they can bring in as taxes to wow. this company. So mm-hmm. I loved that. I was like, wow. That's cool. Yeah. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a choose your own adventure. Yeah. And you can do a deep dive. <laughs> all on right. It. All right. So whatever stands out to you. All right. Kay. Here's the choices. Compound interest Ooh. and making money while you sleep. Choose wisely. Bum, bum, bum. I'll, I'll do making money while you sleep. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So how should people be thinking about making money while they sleep? Yeah. So do you want to talk about real estate? Or you want to talk about stocks? We can talk about either. All right. Real estate is um simple if if we break it down into the four ways that people usually make money off of real estate it's cash flow mm-hmm. appreciation loan amortization and like a tax shelter right so cash flow is easy you just whatever your money coming in from those tenants uh you want that to be higher than any expenses you have coming out for insurance or i don't know cleaning whatever yep. uh repairs so cash flow is pretty easy you want more coming in than you've got going out appreciation is just saying, hey, I want to be able to sell this someday for more than I bought it for. But, you know, then you get into questions of like, all right, well, how does something really appreciate in the investment property world? There's a lot of ways, but one big way is in when you sell this, you're probably going to be selling it to another investor and they're looking for income streams. Mm-hmm. So if you can increase the income stream, then you should be able to sell it for more than you bought it. But how do you get that income stream to increase? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, there's factors that are in your control and factors that are outside of your control. So it could be like inflation, putting pressure on rent mm-hmm. to come up. That that helps. It could be you making improvements to the property to so that you can increase rents. 
Or it could be, I don't know, like you find a way to to cut expenses, like you lower the vacancy, something like that. That helps as well. So, But the idea is increase your income stream and then you'll be able to sell it for more. Yep. So that's appreciation. Loan amortization is just the concept that you've got tenants who are paying you income and you want that income to be able to cover your mortgage costs right. plus some. Mm-hmm. And they're paying off this mortgage for you, mm-hmm. which is super cool. So someday, even if it's 20, 30 years from now, you're going to have this whole four, eight, 20 complex that, that someone paid off for you and you just own it, right? Uh, which is awesome. And then the last way is, is the tax shelter I mean, keeping it super high level. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's the most interesting sounding one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, all right. So you've got that income coming in and then that's that's taxable. Right. And then you've got the expenses, which are tax deductible. And and the difference is the net operating income, Mm -hmm. NOI. And we'd expect that to be taxable. Right. But the cool thing is real estate's good for the economy. So like the IRS wants to kind of help us encourage that. So they, they provide some ways for some additional deductions. So like one would be mortgage interest. So we talked about how in the loan amortization, we've got the tenants paying off our, our loan and also the interest, right? right? So if you pay $18,000 of, of mortgage payments, maybe, I don't know, 15000 of that, sadly, is interest. Mm-hmm. And that is actually deductible, even though the tenants paid that off, which is really, really cool. The other one, I guess, would be like, you can say that you're property, not the land, but the the building is depreciating and count that as a depreciating asset and have an offset for that as well. So there's some, a couple of really cool things you can do about that. There's there's some other things like there's certain zones you can buy properties in and get really cool tax right. uh, situations on those. But yeah, I mean, those are the four ways, cash flow, appreciation, loan amortization, and, and the tax shelter. Wow. Yeah. That was a seminar just now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What about on the the stock side? So I, there are people, for our listeners, there's a lot of cyber folks, a lot of tech folks. What do you know about some of the, the microservices, uh, things like Wealthfront and Robinhood, things like that? Is, is that a good way for people to sort of get into investing in stocks or would you sort of push them into another direction? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good way to get started. I know there's a there's almost like a fear and a hesitation um, to to jump into stocks because you don't understand it. I think the one thing I'd say is there is a bar where your finances and where your financial intelligence needs to be before you should jump into this kind of stuff. But I think that bar is way lower than everyone thinks it is. Mm -hmm. I gave a presentation at Netflix the other day about it was it was mostly about how these really smart people who dedicate their lives to trying to beat the S&P 500 and how right. none of them ever can, like in yeah. the long run, right? right? Not none of them. It's a very small percentage. Very small few, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. There's like five people. Right. So why would we, right? Right. So that's kind of what the whole presentation is about, is like if you believe in this concept and you believe that's going to continue, then that makes this, the choices pretty easy for you as far as just invest in one big index that you feel good about. Mm-hmm. And then you can kind of let it sit. So I like Wealthfront for reasons like that, because they have big diversification investments that you can make. Right. So yeah, I like that. I think I like Robinhood a little bit more because you can buy like an S&P 500 ETF. Yep. 
for no fees. And that's where they'll get you is on the yeah, fees, right? right? Time. And people don't really think about that. If I made a 10% profit and they took 2% of that as a, as a fee, that that's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I think it's really cool. I think it helps lower that bar a little bit, but I'd rather people just take the time, like take a weekend, read nine books about stocks and then do it yourself and, and save a little bit of money on fees. Yeah, actually, you were probably the one that introduced me to those back in 2015, IronNet days. How has your sort of investment strategy changed? Are you still on those apps? Are you looking for different ways of investing? Yeah, I would say that I'm kind of along the lines uh, that are very basic, like S&P 500, right. yeah. large funds. Yep. I tried to do it like individually, one by one. And I think I got easily distracted and I didn't know what I was doing. Right. Like, yeah. It was working, but it was just kind of luck of the draw. Like these are companies that I buy into, mm-hmm. but they're also part of S&P 500. So right. it makes a little bit more sense for me to go a little more broad at this point because mm-hmm. I'm still I'm still learning. Yeah. Did you read about the the challenge that Warren Buffett put out? To, I think it was like a few different funds. And they're like, if you beat the S&P 500, like I'll, I'll donate like a million dollars to charity or something like that. <laughs> Did you hear about I that? Didn't re- I didn't hear about yeah, that. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And of course, Warren Buffett won because yeah. it's hard to beat the S&P 500. Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> you know, there's, um, I read an old textbook from like the 1930s about stocks because I was interested. I was a very different stock market back then. But the concept that they raised was they said, there's a difference between investments and speculation. And investments to them, they defined it as if you thoroughly analyzed it and promised a safety of your principal and an adequate return. That's what they called, that's what they defined as an investment. And then mm. they said anything outside of that is speculation. Mm-hmm. I don't think that applies to us today because there's always speculative factors in right. investment decisions. But I like the concept. So I actually, when I read that, Sorry, this is like um, (laughs) when I read that now I have a a speculative account where I kind of play around with like marijuana or I'm like, maybe, but I don't really know enough about it. And so I just throw my play money in there. It's it's really small. But then I've got my investment account, which is a whole different animal where I've like thoroughly like researched and I feel pretty freaking confident. Wow. Like about I think I'm going to be fine in 10, 20 years. Yeah. No, that's amazing. So how far are you along in your journey to uh, acquire the the 20? unit complex. You know, we pivoted. That was the interesting thing about that memo is even though I I learned a lot of cool stuff, at the end, we said, you know what? Actually, we have a better idea. So we're buying another fourplex on a VA loan. Since we're getting married, it's kind of a triggering event. So we can get Uh a second VA loan in in Seattle. So that's what we're going to do. Zero percent down. Why not? Yep. Right. Yeah. And then uh, the 20 flex going to have to wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they also just uh, lifted the, the limit for the VA loan, right? I didn't know that. Yeah, they just lifted the, the limit. So before, it was based on your area, like how much you could actually use the VA for, VA loan for. Yep. And now they've like completely like lift the, the budget limits. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it makes it easier go. for folks to get... <laughs> get a uh, property out here in like Silicon Valley. Right. Which you're not going to get a nice house for 400 grand out here. It's just, it's difficult to. That's interesting. Mm. I had a question for you. So as cybersecurity practitioners, I think we often get tested for how much do you do what you preach? Mm. So from your perspective, from like being uh, in charge of stock programs, are you taking, do you find other experts taking their own advice and 
diversifying or yeah. going hard in the places that they should be really focused in in their personal endeavors. Experts like? Uh, like yourself, other other individuals that work in a, the similar field. Yeah. I'm not sure if you have a glimpse into that type of, <laughs> that part of their life. <laughs> right. But, uh, right, right. I know right. when I work with other cybersecurity practitioners, I'm a little surprised with sometimes their password, like, oh, this is like <laughs> yeah, five characters right. in like exactly. your production system. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. I think the thing that I don't know the experts, I think we're all pretty tight lipped about our investments. Maybe me excluded because I'm, I'm, I'm an open book. But I think the one thing that I've noticed is there's a lot of passion for financial freedom, but yep. maybe not as much education as I'd like. So, I mean, I go into our Slack channel sometimes and, and see stuff where I'm like, ugh. and you know i don't jump in very often unless i'm like that's gonna ruin your life don't take that advice you know Uh. but i see that a lot um there's a lot of people who are in investing groups and i do kind of think hey you're if you're living paycheck to paycheck this might be too soon for you to jump into something you've got kids like Mm -hmm. pull it pull it back a little bit so I think risk management is the thing that it sounds like you, you're you kind of having the same issue with, where you see people more excited than, than maybe they should be. <laughs> right, right, yeah. yeah. So then for everybody that wants to sort of get started, you mentioned reading some stock books. Yeah. What are some other things that people should be sort of, are there any YouTube channels that people should check out just to sort of learn more of the terminology or some of the strategies to actually get closer to that financial freedom? Yeah. I mean, Khan Academy is amazing. This is weird, but Robinhood actually has like really interesting education that kind of teaches you on the fly. Like if you're placing an order and you're not sure what the difference between a limit order and a stop loss is, they walk you through all of it. Their options trading platform is really good. I don't recommend that for anyone that's new to anything. (laughs) Don't do that. Mm -hmm. But like hypothetically, if you wanted to get into something more more risky, that's actually really good. But I'd say like find a group and just chat about things together. Like take someone to coffee. We just took a lender to coffee or brunch, and I learned more than five books in 90 minutes just because we could ask him the questions that we needed like for our specific scenario right and i didn't have to go through and find all the answers myself so i don't know i'd say find experts and they'll be open to helping you especially like a big thing for me is diversity kind Mm -hmm. of efforts and i think this is an issue specifically in in underrepresented like minority communities because a lot of us are first generation um I feel like wealthy is the wrong term, but right. like comfortable. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> First right. generation, like a little more than comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> um, and our parents never really taught us anything except save your money, put in a right. savings account, get yep. 0.09% for the rest of your life. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, which is going to keep your money, but it's not going to grow your money, which is what we want, right? And with inflation, you're actually kind of losing money. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's, I think, find those experts that are minorities, find those people who have been successful. We also just had some a dinner with a guy who he's building like a his own like I think he said ninety unit apartment complex. Oof. And so that was interesting. That I mean, he's way ahead of me, but it was cool to hear. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. insane. Yeah. How do we get this knowledge back into the places we're from? Because I'm, I'm halfway from Atlanta, halfway from Baltimore. How do we get this information into those areas? Yeah, no, I mean, that's something I've been struggling with. I don't know. So Chris knows, like, I've kind of initiated this thing at Netflix where 
we do what we call pop-ups every mm -hmm. week we i kind of ask people hey if you're an expert in something like come teach us about it so we've had really cool things we've had like japanese whiskey tasting we've yeah. had talks about real estate we had a really good student loan one yeah we, we've had a lot of cool things and so i think it's finding ways to get more of those conversations going yeah not sure i have a direct answer yet right. no yeah that, that is a tough question like yeah. solve yeah. this problem yeah i don't know <laughs> But no, I, I think that's great. Uh, also, uh, the stuff that you did with uh, Urban Tech Center uh, when you came up with uh, the escape room, like that is not even like your field. Like you, no. You're not a, a coder by trade, right? Yeah. But you were able to come up with this really cool experience that even like Greg Peters was like, oh, wow, that's a great idea. I'm going to have to steal it from you. What, stuff like that. Like how did you even have the, the creativity to come up with like an escape room like that? Google. Google, really? <laughs> Man, I don't do anything like halfway. I feel like I knew that they needed help for an hour. And I was like, how can I make this the hour like the best for these kids? Right. Because we only get them for an hour and then I'm never going to see them again. Yep. So I knew you guys are most of the people involved were coders and engineers. And I don't know anything about that. So I actually learned a decent amount of just very beginners level coding. Yep. And to kind of put on this, this uh, escape room for the kids and, and come up with all these little problems. Some of them are more concept related yep. to it, but I don't know. I feel like it, it's just if those things matter to you, then you stay up for a couple nights and figure it out. Yeah, that is yeah. awesome. <laughs> Any plans on doing some pop up shops outside of Netflix? Oh man, I'm running out of experts at Netflix. I'm gonna. Uh, we had a good run. We had a, a year solid. I, it was way more popular than I thought it was gonna be. But I'm running out by the end of the year. So I've been thinking about how do I continue this, but in maybe a, a with a bigger impact. So. I'm thinking about maybe involving other companies, maybe just in the Bay Area. I don't know. Still, still mulling mm -hmm. over it. I just came up with an idea, but I'm gonna have to tell you off camera I'm and so off excited. the microphone. Yeah, <laughs> I think we might have we might have some synergy here. Let's do it. But thank you so much for taking the time to come speak to us, talk to our listeners about this stuff that you're passionate about. If people want to reach out to you, what is, what is the best way to reach out to you? LinkedIn, for sure. If I don't answer, please, <laughs> like, just follow up. <laughs> and I'll, I promise I'll get back to you. Um, LinkedIn's the best way. And, yeah, I'm happy to talk to anybody who wants to talk about anything. So. And you need to get a, a Medium article out there. I think yeah. you need to. <laughs> I, I, think, I think that should be a goal. Before the oh, end man. of 2019, <laughs> Kim needs to have a Medium article up and ready. I'll have to do it. Let's do All it. Right. All right. It's agreed. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thanks yes, for being here. Thank you. And we'll see everybody later.